Hey everyone, it's Austin. Thanks for listening. Just wanted to give you a heads up that today's show was recorded in late February as Dylan's on vacation. So if there's no mention of the recent news, that's why. Enjoy. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, March 11th. Time for another healthcare-focused wildcard Wednesday. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and we're stuck with the just okay Brian Froldy. Brian, just becoming a meme at this point, the, uh, the underwhelming intro. That would be amazing if I could become a meme on the internet. And Dylan, I'm going to start this episode off a little bit differently because I was at a trivia night at a local bar and we came in first place. And even though we got the final question uh, wrong, we still won out of 12 teams. So I'm curious if any of our super smart listeners know the answer to this ridiculous trivia question. And that is, which 19th century U.S. president was elected to the Senate after... His term ended. And I got to say, you, you put this in the notes. I have no idea what the answer is. Uh, we will reveal the answer at the end of this episode. Something for people to marinate on. We're talking about electronic yeah. health records. If that's not really your jam, just stick around. Tune out the entire conversation, then stick around for the end, and you can get the answer to that question. Um, Brian, having you on today to talk e-health and the records management business, really a lot of companies that are focused on digitizing and modernizing the way that health records are done, doing that because people want some more healthcare stuff on the Wildcard Wednesday show. Yeah, and this is really this is a topic that marries two of my favorite industries, tech and healthcare. And uh, I, I was at my doctor's office a, f- a couple of weeks ago, and I just go to a small local physician, and they use electronic health records at their office. And yet, when I walked when I walked in the door, they still handed me a pencil and a piece of paper and said, "Here, fill out your name and address and phone number." Even though I'd been to the office dozens of times before, so there's still work to do. It sounds like we go to the same doctor. I mean, that that's the experience. That pretty much everyone seems to be having, and and it does seem like we're a little too far along with technology to still be there. Yeah, exactly. And when you dig into the numbers, uh, the the market for IT uh, healthcare products is enormous. I mean, spending was it was two hundred and eighty billion dollars uh, last year, and there are just dozens of ways uh, for investors to to play the trend of the gradual digitization of healthcare. I mean, you can go with the IT providers themselves. There's also consultants. There are pure play software companies. There's also software companies that look to healthcare to um, bolster uh, their their growth potential. So there's huge potential here for investors across the board. And the idea here is a very similar pitch to what you would see with software coming into almost any space, right? You're you're getting more efficient, you're avoiding mistakes. In the case of healthcare, you're probably getting better patient outcomes, all the things that hopefully come with more efficient operations. Yeah, and there's that's exactly right. And electronic health records, which is a big focus of the show today, uh, EHR, um, they really just help the healthcare industry uh, tremendously. They hold a huge potential to uh, lower costs. And as you, as you know, uh, healthcare and regulation go hand in hand, and there's big focuses around privacy and security of data. So developing an electronic health record system that 
is scalable and used everywhere has enormous potential to save the healthcare system huge money uh, in both direct and indirect costs in the long term. We've started to see a lot of uh, offices adopt EHR systems over the last 10 or so years, 15 or so years. Uh, The adoption has really grown dramatically. Yeah, so uh, some quick stats on that. So in 2004, uh, only about 20% of uh, physician offices had any electronic health record system at all in place. Uh, but the government has put incentives in place to kind of push the industry in, in, to go in that direction. Um, and uh, as of uh, 2018, about 86% of offices had an EHR in place. There are still some holdouts, many of them are which are those small offices that, do, that haven't uh, made the jump just yet. Uh, but the trend is absolutely towards digi- digitization. And you sent me a screenshot of the way that the industry breaks down, just kind of getting a sense of all of the different players in the space. And uh, it's it's pretty fragmented. You know, there are some people that have a pretty big stake, um, but there are dozens and dozens of companies that play in this industry. Yeah, I mean, just in the electronic health records industry uh, alone, there are dozens of providers, and there's and there's some big companies that have uh, a decent size uh, market share. We're going to talk about one a, a, a little bit later in the show, uh, but there are literally dozens of companies that uh, have developed their own electronic health record system and have had some success in the marketplace. So this is a hugely fragmented market uh, right now. I, I I could easily see the market continuing to uh, consolidate over time, so that there's say a few enormous companies that really dominate and uh, provide interoperability to make sure that health records are easily accessible and portable, but we're not quite there yet. Folks that follow the industry probably know the names Epic Systems and Athena Health. Um, These are kind of the big giants that are private. We're going to be focusing a little bit more on the public companies in the space because we want to give people the investable ideas in this industry. Uh, One of the first companies that I want to talk about, another pretty big player, is Cerner. Yeah, so Cerner, uh, their ticker symbol is uh, C-E-R-N. They are one of the largest providers of IT uh, solutions to the in- entire uh, healthcare industry. Uh, to give you a sense of scale, these guys, um, 70 of the top 100 health systems are currently user of uh, Cerner's project. They have about a 24% uh, market share of, of the entire industry, so they are definitely the, uh, the top dog in the space. And they, uh, they're a leader in electronic uh, health records and they make it easy for you know hospitals and providers to share and record data with each other. And they also offer a number of ancillary services to the hospitals um, and healthcare providers, such as um, uh, billing, operational improvements, uh, uh, consulting services. And their business is actually split through, uh, they make money in a couple different ways. Uh, they make it through uh, professional services, as well as um, licensed uh, software. And this company is in the middle of, wait for it, a SaaS conversion, which we both love. Um, so their revenue is becoming even more dependable. And they also make money off of um, support and uh, maintenance contracts. And uh, more recently, they announced a major partnership uh, with Amazon to leverage their AWS services to bring their technology to make their platform even better. So this is the, the top dog in the space, and it's easy to see them remaining so for years to come. You mentioned the SaaS transition. This is something that folks that have heard us talk before probably know pretty well, but for anyone who hasn't caught those conversations, basically you have a business that is going from the old school model 
of software licenses sold on a less predictable basis to uh, a as-a-service model where you have nice recurring revenue coming in, the, the software offering becomes much stickier and much harder for customers to leave. It takes a little bit of time. It's a little painful for businesses to go through that transition, but ultimately, it's a far better business model. Yeah, it, per- it takes lumpy software sales and makes them into recurring monthly payments. It, it, it works out best for, for, for both customers and, and the, the, the providers of the technology themselves. We've seen almost every software company, almost every legacy software company, switch to a SaaS model over the last 10 years because it's just such a home run decision. Uh, one downside of the transition is it can temporarily lower companies' reported revenue because SaaS model pulls in less, less revenue up front. Uh, so when we're talking about Cerner's growth rates, you just need to keep that in mind. Yeah, and and you know you mentioned legacy software. This is definitely a little bit of an older business, um, probably not as high growth as some of the other software companies that people are used to hearing us talk about, Brian. But with that comes a little bit more stability. Yeah, this is this is a company that's been profitable, cash flow positive uh, for years. They've been a terrific um, long term investment. So this is not the most exciting company that we're going to talk about today. But for an investor that's looking for a steady eddy business, uh, this is certainly one to check out. And just to throw some numbers around there, uh, last quarter this company reported uh, revenue growth of about six percent to uh, one point four four billion. Uh, they were able to squeeze out some even faster growth on the bottom line thanks to some margin margin enhancements, and stock buybacks. Uh, so, adjusted earnings grew 23% uh, to, to $0.49. Cents. Uh, for the year ahead, for 2020, uh, even with the SaaS kind of dragging them down and some recently uh, businesses that they decided to exit, um, they're calling for low single-digit revenue growth, but they're going to be able to leverage uh, through margin enhancements, enhancements that into about 15% growth in adjusted EPS. Um, and this company regularly buys back stock, and they also initiated a dividend uh, within the last year, uh, and they pay about a 1% uh, yield. So over the longer term, I think this company should steadily be able to maintain its market share, uh, provide uh, small small boosts to, to the bottom line that outpace top-line growth, and provide double-digit profit growth for, for, for the foreseeable future. And on a valuation basis, this company is not priced for hyper-growth by any sense. They're trading for about 20 times uh, next year's earnings, and again, they do come with a small dividend. So, if you're looking for a slow-moving way to profit from this trend, I think Cerner is a great choice. Yeah, I think the TLDR on Cerner is legacy business that's going through the tough part of becoming a SaaS company, um, but they have a really steady, solid business backing that transition up, and you know they give you the return to shareholder type capital allocation decisions that a lot of people love. The stock buybacks and the dividends, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, totally. So this is a great stock for anyone that's uh, for low risk investors to check out. Uh, our second stock is one that I know quite well because I'm a shareholder, uh, and that is DocuSign. This is a this is a stock that has really rewarded shareholders over the last year and a half or so. Yeah, so DocuSign, uh, we, we've talked about it on the show before, mostly on the tech show, um, and they're a leader in the uh, the electronic signature. So anytime you need to electronically sign your name, uh, DocuSign is the brand that uh, has the dominant market share. And uh, you and I did a deep dive on this show after it came public in uh, 2018, and we both gave it the thumbs up, and I think we both became shareholders uh, right away, and shares have just 
gone on to produce great returns. I mean, they're talking about a more than double uh, since uh, 2018. And the reason I wanted to highlight it for uh, healthcare investors is DocuSign is obviously not a pure play on healthcare IT, but this company is placing an emphasis on um, using their services within the healthcare market, and they are starting to see some traction. Um, more than 100 hospitals are actually currently using DocuSign's products uh, for all kinds of reasons, for uh patient intake, uh, physician credentialing, uh, hiring on their own side, uh, HIPAA compliance. And DocuSign is also focusing on the the health plans um, as a way to get them to uh, connect better with their members. So they've got partner. They've uh, United Healthcare, which is the largest um, health plan in the United States, is a DocuSign customer. As is uh, Anthem, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Well uh, WellCare, uh, Kaiser Permanente, and and DocuSign also has been going after the global life sciences businesses uh, to partner with drug developers because there's huge uh, compliance and signing for things to, when you're running clinical trials. And these guys have already landed 18 of the top uh, 20 global pharmacy companies. So DocuSign is def- so healthcare is definitely a growth industry for DocuSign. If you look at what they're doing in healthcare too, I think what you see is a very similar roadmap to what they've done with other industries, namely the financial industry. They have some big deals inked with some of the major players in that space, and that that's just going to create a ton of volume for them, and is going to get them entrenched with the players that really shape the industry. Um, I mean, I know so many people that have gone through the mortgage process and used DocuSign uh, here at the Fool, and so so I think they're very smart in who they're working with, who they're partnering with, and really getting themselves out there. I think they're kind of the go-to name when it comes to the electronic signature and document management process. Yeah, exactly. And and you think about healthcare, even as a patient, how many times you have to sign your name uh, when you check in, when you uh, fill out your HIPAA compliance form, uh, when you're filling out your beneficiaries. I mean, there's dozens of times that you have to sign your name uh, related to uh, healthcare. So DocuSign naturally plays uh, right into that. And as we as we, we alluded to previously, uh, this is a company that is just getting it done. I mean, they are producing fantastic uh, growth numbers. So last quarter, uh, this company added 25. Thousand uh, new customers, and that brought their total up to five hundred and sixty thousand uh, total customers. So that kind of growth is just driving uh, strong growth in the top line. We saw forty uh, percent growth uh, in the top line to two hundred and fifty million. Uh, it's a software company, so they produce great gross margins of seventy-five uh, percent. They were teeter; they're still producing gap net losses, but if you adjust for that, uh, they are profitable on uh, an adjusted basis. And one of the key metrics that we always look for in any software as a service companies is dollar-based net expansion rate, which is a measure of same customer spending from period to period. This company just recently produced 117%, which means that even if they weren't adding any customers at all, the top line would have grown 17%. So really, when you look at this company's numbers, there's just so much to like. Yeah. One of the other things that I really like, too, is they have this deepening relationship with Salesforce.com. And uh, you know, we talked about how they very smartly approached the healthcare industry and the financial industry. Um, I think being in uh, Salesforce's good favors or you know being on their good side is probably a good thing if you're a software company because they have such outsized influence in this industry, particularly with enterprise clients. 
Yeah, Salesforce is a major player, and by deepening their relationship with them, uh, DocuSign is actually helping with uh, contract lifecycle management, uh, as well as the entire negotiation process. So the combination of Salesforce and DocuSign is helping with negotiations in the background and to really automate that process as much as possible. So when we first talked about them on the show, uh, we talked about how DocuSign sees a total addressable market opportunity of about $25 billion. Management believes that their recent integrations and uh, new products that they've launched has the potential to double that uh, in time. So this company is still deeply underpenetrated with its, with its uh, long-term potential. And although it's not by any means a healthcare uh, pure play on the IT front, uh, it's definitely an accelerator. So this is definitely a stock that growth-focused investors uh, should get to know. All right, let's switch gears and talk about our third stock. This is one that I had to check on the pronunciation of, and a little bit out of my element here. This is Freesia. I'm going to spell that too, P-H-R-E-E-S-I-A, ticker P-H-R, another software-as-a-service company. Uh, yeah, and these guys, if you're looking for a pure play on healthcare IT, that's exactly what Freesia does. And this company is hyper-focused on the patient uh, intake process. So that includes uh, registration, um, uh, scheduling, uh, checking in, uh, bill pay, anything that the, the that a patient would experience when they're interacting with a um, with a healthcare office. So Freesia. Um, partners with healthcare providers, and they have a mobile app that patients can use to sign in and schedule new appointments, as well as there's also a tablet, an iPad-like device that Freesia puts into some offices that patients can use uh, when they walk in to electronically uh, sign in. And this just greatly speeds up the, the check-in process and you know scheduling uh, new appointments. I wish that my healthcare provider would adopt Freesia's technology because it just sounds so much better than what I'm doing now. Yeah, Brian, I mean, this is solving the exact pain point that we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> Freesia is, as we talked about, is is really focused on uh, patient intake, but they also have direct integrations for, of their product with dozens of other uh, health electronic health record companies. So they have partnerships with uh, Cerner, uh, Meditech, Athena Health, Allscripts. They partner with payers. They partner with uh, payment networks. Um, so they are on the front end, and that's what their specialty is. But their fingers do extend out to to other companies. And this is a company that actually um, has currently has three sources of recurring revenue, uh, all of which are growing. So the first is um, healthcare providers pay them a subscription fee to just offer the service um, at their at their office. Um, but whenever a patient makes a payment on on its platform, so for copays or deductibles, uh, Freesia also gets uh, a portion of that sales. And then lastly, they actually partner with life sciences companies, so medical devices, drug developers, to provide uh, targeted digital marketing uh, services. So um, this company has numerous ways that it's monetized. Advertising its uh, its user base, and that's something that that excites me as an investor. Yeah, and they're and they're all kind of slightly playing in different elements of the healthcare home office, and and these things that really businesses need to be able to do. I like that they have an arm in payment processing in particular because um, it gets them a little outside of just the core operational elements of healthcare. Um, they already have a pretty decent book of clients and provider organizations. 
Yeah, so they've already signed up about 50,000 healthcare providers already. Uh, management believes that their addressable market opportunity just in the U.S. is about 900,000 offices, so there's still plenty of room to go. And independent uh, third-party um, uh, reviewers have rated Freesia's software and service as the top choice for patient intake management. Um, so that certainly gives this company you know, a nod from a, from a third party, and that could help them in time to continue to grow within their their target market. Um, and this company is pulling in about $100 million in uh, annualized revenue. And last year, that grew at about 25%. Management seems to think that its total addressable market opportunity is on the, is on the is about $7 billion. That might be a little bit aggressive, given, given what we know about how companies um, like to talk up that number. But I do think it shows that this company has a nice niche for itself, and it is, it is growing. To your point about them being best in class, too, I mean, that's the kind of thing that gives a software provider some pricing power. You know, if if you are able to be the one-stop shop and really the best solution for someone in a space, especially a smaller space where there aren't going to be nearly as many software providers, then you're able to demonstrate your value and over time either upsell folks or slowly increase prices to reflect the better service that they're getting. Yeah, so I think Freesia is so hyper focused on the intake process that they can make that process as as seamless as possible for patients, and that's and that's I think a defendable market. I mean, there's lots of other companies, even like Cerner, as we talked about at the top of the show, that provide these kind of services. But because Freesia is hyper focused on just the intake, and it offers you know integration with Cerner for a whole bunch of other processes, there is a reason that some healthcare providers can choose to work with one or even more of these companies that just one time. So this isn't a market where there's just going to be one solution necessarily. There could be multiple solutions, even within a single office. If Cerner was your too uh, boring, too mellow, and maybe DocuSign was your too aggressive, too growth-oriented, this could be the just right stock of the three uh, for some folks that are looking for something a little bit in the middle. Uh, 19% revenue growth uh, next year, and the currently trading at about 10 times sales. So, not nearly as aggressive a valuation as what we saw with DocuSign, but more impressive growth rates than what we're seeing with Cerner. Yeah, and the company has reached enough scale to start showing um, adjusted net, uh, net income, at least on an EBITDA basis, which always needs some uh, you know, context. On a gap basis, they are still showing uh, net losses, but that's very common for fast-growing uh, software-as-a-service companies. Uh, one thing I did want to call out is this company does have some customer concentration issues that investors need to be aware of. So, their top four clients uh, comprised about 19% of sales last year. That should continue to fall and be less of an issue over time if this business can continue to grow. But that is something that I think investors do need to know ahead of time. All right, Brian, we threw out three stocks. I have to ask you at the end of the show, which one is your favorite play on the space? Oh, I think you know the answer to that, and that's going to be DocuSign. I mean, it's hard for me. DocuSign has become one of my personal biggest holdings just because of the outstanding performance and the and the strong growth. And I think it's it's just growing. Its customer count so good, and I like that it's that healthcare is is an accelerator of its growth. It's not completely dependent on healthcare uh, for growth. So of the three, it's definitely my favorite choice. How about you? I'm right there with you. I mean, it's it, you know, it's, it's my kid. I own it in my brokerage account. How how could I how could I vote against it? Um, yeah, it's it's a great business and. It, it is in so many industries and just really making things so much easier. Um, and the stock has performed so well. I only expect that to continue. I think that the tailwinds there are just so strong. Um, before we wrap up, Brian, we threw a trivia question out there at the beginning of the show. We got to give people the answer. 
Yeah. So again, the question was, which 19th century U.S. president was elected to the Senate after his term as president ended? And the answer is Andrew Johnson. So congratulations if you knew that. You uh, you should come be on my trivia team. Yeah, I mean, those should be the folks living in Washington, D.C., not me, because they clearly have a better sense of the nation's history. Um, as we wrap up, too, listeners know that if folks give us a five-star review, I will give it a shout-out on the air. Uh, we have one from Jay Port, who writes in, Thanks so much for bringing healthcare back. Look at that, Brian, reading it on a show we're doing on healthcare right now. Love the new intro. Thanks for all the great content you bring. And thanks for keeping me company when I walk the dog at nights and on my morning commute. Love it. Love to know where people are listening to our shows and uh, where we're you know, going into their ears and hopefully making them smarter, happier, and richer. Brian, thanks again for hopping on today's show. Anytime, Dylan. All right, listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email over at industryfocus@fool.com, or you can tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you want more stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd for all his work behind the glass today. For Brian Feroldi, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on.